back to Mesoamerican Studies on Air, the podcast that brings you real, recent research on ancient Mesoamerica. I'm your host, Catherine Knuckles Wild. Today we are interviewing a dear, dear friend of mine, Ruben Morales Forte, about his project, Maya Scripta. Ruben was born and raised in Guatemala, where he did his undergraduate in archaeology. He then did an MA in Latin American Studies and is currently enrolled as a PhD student in anthropology, both at Tulane University. His main interests are the integral study of ancient and modern Maya culture, the implementation of community-engaged scholarship, and other public outreach methodologies such as gamification. When he's not working on this, he loves to do and watch sports, especially riding his bike and exploring nature. Let's tune into the interview. Well, first of all, Ruben, thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat with me about this project that you've been working on. I obviously know a lot about it since you and I have talked a lot about it in the past, but um, I was wondering if you would like to just start out by giving us a brief summary about the project that you've been working on and I guess what, what led you to it. Perfect. Thank you very much, Katie. Thank you for uh, for having me here today and for giving us the, the space to talk a little bit about these. So the project is called Maya Scripta, and it's basically its main objective, its main goal is to make Maya hieroglyphic writing accessible to the public. And by the public, we mean non-academics, people who do not work on anything related to Maya hieroglyphic writing. And especially we want to focus on making it accessible for people in in Guatemala and we do this through several several channels and, and the idea uh, started you know because as you are well aware there is uh, a lot of the research and a lot of the scientific advancement of this topic is done outside of Guatemala from scholars who are in the United States in Europe in Canada, Mexico, or anywhere. And a lot of it, it's not in, in Spanish, right? It's written in, in another language, which right. makes it hard to access. And even when people speak other language, well, there is still a jargon barrier there, and there is often paywalls, right? So uh, in an effort to make this more accessible, we began this project. Awesome. Yeah. And I think that this this idea of accessibility is something that is something that I'm passionate about, obviously, um, and I've been able to see the passion that you have for it. Um, so I guess you you say you say we who else is helping you out with this project or who else are you working with? Yeah, well, uh, we are working together with people from Universidad del Valle de Guatemala. That's uh, actually where I did my undergraduate and my licenciatura and where I teach right now. And well, the project stemmed out of our my epigraphy class there, actually. We had that class, my cohort had that class in 2014. And afterwards in 2015, we started working on this project as a database with a chair of the archeology span department, Tomas Barrientos, and another uh, colleague of mine, Francisco Perez, who actually just graduated from Del Valle too. And that's basically the, the main core of, uh, of the project. And on top of that, we have several um, ally, allies that work with us from inside Universidad del Valle, people from Tulane, and uh, people from local museums, and et cetera, et cetera, right? So it's, mm -hmm. it's been a very um, collaborative effort, right? 
And yeah, I always try to talk about this project as as we, as us, because you know it's it's not just me doing the job, right? And right. maybe I'm um the one talking more about it because I was the one who, who started this uh with my undergraduate thesis, but it's it's always been uh teamwork, right? The team effort. So, you know, credit where credit is due, and and I like to bring all, all my colleagues who work hard on, on this project uh into the conversation. Yeah, definitely. And I think the that's, you know, that that collaborative effort is something that, as you and I know, and I, I imagine some of our listeners know as well, this idea of a collaborative effort is something that's been really crucial for Maya studies in general, but specifically uh, the decipherment of hieroglyphic writing. Um, so what has this process been like for you and your and your colleagues as you've put together this project? Uh, what new insights have you had? What have been some of the challenges that you had to overcome along the way? Tell us a little bit about that process. Sure. Yeah, well, um, how everything began was, you know, I, we started doing um, outreach programs in Del Valle and, and public archaeology. And one day uh, we were invited to, this was before we started the MyScripta project, but I remember attending a conference called uh, Community Archaeology Congress. It was a Congress on Community Archaeology. And I remember there was not a single community member in the list of panelists, hmm. right? And they, they were only commentators at the end of, of the Congress. And I, I remember seeing that and being shocked by it, right? I was like, whoa, whoa, what are we doing here, right? And this is this is basically how I started thinking about this. And I got really involved with the outreach programs that Tomas was developing in, in Del Valle. And of course, my, my main focus has always been uh, Maya writing, right? That's that's mm -hmm. what I like most, as, as you know, um, divided between archaeology and linguistics, right? Maya archaeology, Maya linguistics, right. and all the... The glyphs just merge merge it perfectly, right? So as as a licenciatura student, I start thinking more more about this, right? And well, challenges there there have been several challenges there on how to first of all how 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 to make it accessible, right? And that's something that has changed along the way in the project, right? We first started as as a online database, right? It was a mm -hmm. self-explanatory, like autodidactic thing, right? We expected people to uh, access the database and just see its content and just make drawings, pictures, and and uh, readings of Maya texts available. And you know, we did have uh, users there, but it was never the number of users we expected, right? Mm -hmm. And so we started thinking, okay, maybe instead of being just an, an open tool, this can be a teaching tool, right? And that's when we started working with uh, the regional museum of Southeastern Petén. And when we switched from public archaeology to community engaged scholarship, um, and this was in 2019. And, and you know, over there, the, the database was not just something that you could access, but it became a tool for us giving workshops for local students from uh, high school. And it became a tool for the museum guides to better explain um, items in display in the museum exhibit. And you know, we have uh, tablets to access that in there. 
And so people who come can see the monuments and they can access the readings and see pictures and drawings and deeper explanation of each monument beyond just uh, just the explan explanation in in the museum, right? So right. that that was something that was very very useful. And then of course uh, COVID hit, as you know, mm -hmm. everyone that was in twenty twenty just after we were done uh, mounting this uh, this endeavor with the regional museum, you started to think, okay, how can we get to more people right now that we have these hindrance that we cannot have people at the museum. And that's when we started working with the technology transfer office at, at Del Valle, mm -hmm. uh, DTO. And their idea was, why don't you guys turn these into board games? You know, there is this great phenomenon out there called gamification which consists of translating academic material into games and teaching in a ludic way to several audiences, right? And, and this has been very effective and is well documented in several countries in several languages. And it's particularly effective for um, historic topics. So we start thinking about the board games in uh, the summer of 2020. And you know, we work in 2021 with uh, another group of undergraduates from Del Valle, from the, from the design department to start making these board games and to produce them for people to have access to, to this material in a different way. And that's the, the latest iteration of, of our project right now. And uh, actually we just started selling the first uh, game. We have a memory matching card game with uh, Maya glyphs. We have uh, logograms and it just came out in Guatemala last month. So we are we're really exciting. We are about to start selling it in the States as well. So far it's only in Spanish, but we hope to, to have it available in English in the next year. So and there are three more games in the way. So that's uh, the most recent development of, of the project. And everyone is really excited about this part. And I, I think that's that's something really, really um, positive about the project that we have encountered several challenges and through the collaboration, right? Through mm -hmm. having the input of people from the museum to have having the input from uh, Maya speakers. You know, we, I have uh, learned Cachiquel in the past and Francisco, my colleague also learned Cachiquel and we have spoken with our Cachiquel professors about these games and having input from several people, right? We we enter into this multivocalic process and they have always brought new ideas and ways for transforming the project and to, to make it better and to make it adapt to the challenges that arise. I love that so much. And I, I really, one thing that I really love about this project is what you just mentioned, that it's gone through different iterations and each iteration has been informed by the community and by what's currently going on in the moment. Um, obviously, so many projects have undergone transformations as a, as a result of the pandemic, but I really like the way that the transformations that this project has undergone in particular haven't been just as a result of the pandemic, right? You were already going through those changes before 2020 even started. And so it sort of, uh, yeah, it sort of laid a foundation so that when you were looking for the next iteration, it, it seems like it, it felt natural, right? 
yeah yeah i mean it's it's one of those those things you know like we adapt to survive right and and every project needs to do that and um actually we were uh working on a paper uh last year before hurricane ida hit and unfortunately that that mm -hmm. couldn't happen anymore and it was the name was actually innovating innovation and it was precisely of how the project has gone through all these many iterations and how there is there's power in this multivocalic process, right? This polyphony right. and multivocalic um, aspect of the project has been a metal apart since the very beginning, right? Those were two concepts that we use in the in the um, uh, framework since the 2015 conception of the project, where polyphony and multivocality and how to bring more voices and how more voices have saying here both as in members of the of the team but also users right and people who are outside of the team who are using these tools they they bring insight and they bring ideas right and mm -hmm. and being open to these comments to these opinions i think has been one of uh, our strengths right and i think that's one one aspect that has allowed us to to stay rolling you know not just bury this this project after the seven years right now we are yeah wow. seven yeah so so i guess just for the listeners who are hearing what you're doing and are curious you have the website the maya website where people can go to study uh or to analyze different readings right um and then you have the regional museums uh, that have now the tablets with the different interactive qualities. And then why don't you tell us a little bit about what the board games are, the one that you have up, which I think looks fantastic. I can't wait to get my hand, uh, get my hands on my own set. Um, what what do you have coming coming down the pipes for us? Oh, that's uh, thank you. I'm, I'm glad you like it. It's it's exciting. And I know you are going to Guatemala soon. So uh, yes, I make make sure to have at least one or as many as you want ready for you with my friends down there. Um, so down, down the road, we are trying to do right now is we're selling the games uh, right now to individual buyers. Uh, we are positioning them in stores. So there are three stores right now that have them already there. And we are working with two more. So hopefully by the end of the month, there, they will be in at least three stores in Guatemala, and we still sell them to, to individuals. And we are getting these games to schools. That's that's the next big step. We have spoken with several schools in Guatemala. Uh, right now, it's mainly private schools who, who have, which have kids who can afford these games. And, you know, before everyone starts uh, you know, pointing out that's elitist, then it's problematic. Let me tell you that part of this project is to make the part of this phase of the project is to make Maya Scripta sustainable, right? And this mm -hmm. is why we are we are selling the games. But for every 10 games we sell, we we sell, we donate one game to either public schools or local museums or uh, Maya language uh, teaching centers. So that's great. Uh, this is what we're doing right now, trying to get them into the schools. You know, several uh, schools, especially in Guatemala City, private schools, 
are required to teach Maya languages and, and they don't do it mainly because they don't have the resources, right? Mm -hmm. And some of them have shifted towards teaching Maya culture instead of Maya languages because that's, according to them, easier to get a handle of, uh, which I don't necessarily agree, but you know. Mm -hmm. um, but there is still the problem of uh, they lack material, right? So these games are an avenue that they can can use as this material because, well, it's a memory matching game. So it's it's very basic, right? We have logographs that I guess and I'm pretty sure you have more uh, content in your podcast to explain what logographs are. Yes, yeah. Um, so they have logographs about animals, um, elements of nature and colors. And the game is designed to learn both the glyphs and the pronunciation they have. But additionally, we have a YouTube channel that is right now under construction and it should be ready by next month, where while through scanning a QR code on your game, you can go into the YouTube channel and there is more information about these elements, right? And and it's explaining why these elements are significant for Maya groups. And they show that a lot of these elements that were significant for the classic period Maya, we're talking the people from Tikal, Ancopan, Palenque, Calakmul, et cetera, et cetera, are still significant for Maya people today. And in many cases, they actually share the same words. Mm -hmm. So this, this helps bringing this awareness of uh, continuity and of belonging. From, from Maya groups, uh, right. which is something that we have found is, is lacking in schools. So uh, that's where we are now and down, down the way. So we have right now this game, we are trying to put it into schools. We are working on a preparing an educational package, you know, like a series of workshops. And on top of that, we have um, the English version of this game coming, coming over to mm -hmm. sell it for tourists and people in the States. We hope that can be ready either late this year or early next year. And we also have uh, three more games coming down the way. Uh, we don't really know when they are gonna be ready, but that's where we are uh, working hard right now. It's in the production and distribution uh, of these games and, and making um, a tool available for people to learn while they play. You know, it's it's a very mm -hmm. effective way. I love that. And I, I really do think, you know, later on um, in the podcast, I'm actually going to be speaking to, to a couple other groups of people who have been working on these sort of innovative approaches, including gamification. Um, in, in their case, it's going to be more about uh, video games, right, that are being developed about the, the Aztec Mexica group in central Mexico. Um, but I, I love this idea of not only providing flashcards and and the the ability for people to learn to recognize the signs and their pronunciation but also to connect it to greater cultural context right because i feel like that's something that people are really interested in learning they want to know what these things mean but they also want to know what they mean beyond just their literal linguistic meaning right um what sources have been have you been using and what information have you been gathering to create these sort of modern contexts? Yeah, okay, so uh, for for starters, um, both the logo for Maya Scripta and the logo for the Memoria Wits, which is the name of our memory matching game, 
were designed by a uh, Kachikel artist, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, Walter Pashoch, who I know you you know you have seen his work. Yes, it's, it's amazing. You know, it's it's just he he brings um, Maya classic Maya artistic conventions into modern settings in such an amazing way. I, I think he's one of the best best doing these. So Agreed. we we have him uh, for starters creating these the the first image right like what people looks first mm-hmm. uh comes from the the ideas of amaya scribe right like and and mm-hmm. i love that he he uh calls himself an artist right and not just an artist mm-hmm. but an, a scribe a scribe which i think it's it's very accurate and that's what he does yeah um and and other than that and as i was mentioning before you know i have had the privilege of uh, studying Maya languages with uh, indigenous people, both Cachiquel. Uh, I studied Cachiquel for three years, and I have very good relationship with my previous professors who come from several towns in the Cachiquel area. And uh, more recently, I was also studying Chorti uh, in the eastern part of Guatemala, and I have really good relationships now with uh, people from from that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, East in the northwest of Hokotan, you know, out, out of Chiquimula, towards the, the eastern part of Guatemala. So talking with them, you know, and and presenting the games to them has brought a lot of insight. And actually, this notion, this idea of showing the continuity between uh, classic Maya language and modern indigenous languages, modern Maya languages like Cachiquel, uh, emerge from a conversation with uh, Ishnan and Akawal, who are two of my Kachikel uh, professors. We got mm. together one day in Antigua, and I was showing them the game and like how you like it, what do you want to see, and they were like, you know what is really great? Out of these twenty words you have here, around half are still the words we use today. Mm-hmm. So we we see here that we speak like our ancestors, right? And and you know that's something that we were not thinking about at first. And it's a, 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 another strength of, of this game and another asset that we can present, right? So again, bringing all these voices and especially Maya voices who have um, the right, the first right mm-hmm. to, to share in their culture, uh, bring, brings these these new ideas to the table and and strengthens strengthens um, the project and and the game. So talking with them has been the the main source for uh, making these connections. And of course, the time we have spent both in the highlands and the lowlands um, studying with them. Right. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. I, you know, I, I'm sure this is a really difficult question uh, that I'm about to ask you. Um, but what would you say is the the most important thing that you've learned throughout this entire process? And I know you're still kind of in the middle of the process, um, but you've had, like you said, seven years uh, working with this with this project. And I'm curious what you what you would say has been your your biggest learning takeaway so far. Oof. Yeah, that is a, a really hard question. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, this might be a, the the cliche, right? But something that we can't overlook and we can't overstate 
um, is how important it is to find funding for the projects, right? Mm. Like we have gone through some phases of stagnation because we were trying to work, you know, just based on volunteering work and whenever we had a free time. And and to some extent, it's it's still like that. But the project really took off when we started to devote significant time to grant writing and, and looking for funding mm-hmm. to to make the project sustainable, right? And and that was another realization, right? That we were asking for funding to operate, like to complete phases of the project until we realized like this has to be sustainable, right? Like we, we can't rely on grants perpetually because, you know, donors run out of funding or you run mm-hmm. out of options to ask money for. And, and that's when we start thinking about sustainability and and so we we shifted gears towards sustainability grants, right? And, and we were looking for um, for for startup money to bring this project into sustainability. So that I think that's a very valuable lesson that uh, sometimes as academics we we overlook because we are in love with the research and we we romanticize how things will be and. And you know, it's sometimes it's it's really hard to make them work without the financial resources. So right. that was a very important lesson on the financial side, and on the purely academic side of the project, you know, or or the uh, eventual like the living experience, right, mm-hmm. of of the project. Never never overestimating comments, you know, like be open to listen to everyone, right? Everyone. Mm-hmm bring something to the conversation like i can't can't state enough how important the multivocality process has been and and how much help we have found and how much collaboration we have found there you know and and not just just like asking for permission to work with something or someone but being willing to actually listen to them and incorporate people who work close with with uh, these topics right and you know in in the Dolores area the population there it's it's mainly Ladino but they live in an archaeologically rich area right so they have a completely different insight from someone from from the highlands you know mm-hmm. who has a very deep relation with uh, modern practices and not necessarily with archaeological work um, or with a different scope of archaeology, right? And right. let alone with another Ladino from Guatemala City, like Francisco Tomas or myself, mm-hmm. right? So these conversations and, and having everyone together and and talking with them and listening to them and incorporating them not only as consultants, you know, or mm-hmm. informants, but as collaborators. It's it's the middle or part of doing uh, a good community engaged work. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's such, yeah, that's such a great answer. Um, I'll, I'll round up our our chat by asking you one that I think, um, I, I'd like to think it might be a little easier. It might, even, it might actually be harder to answer though. What would you say that you love most about this project and what you're doing with it? <laughs> that's, uh, that's a good one, that's a good one. Um, I don't really know how to answer. You know, I I love 
watching the project change mm. and and advance you know like i i i love feeling that we're doing something you know and and knowing that we are having an an impact on what people can can learn and you know uh we have talked about this in the past but two years ago when i was wrapping up with my uh master thesis we found out that people who are exposed to indigenous related content improve their perception about indigenous people right mm -hmm. um and we we found this in in when we were working at, at dolores with quantitative and qualitative studies over there so you know i i'm not thinking we are changing the world with this you know but people who are exposed to these things to these games to these um database to the museum learn new things you know mm -hmm. and and that has an impact on how they look to see, see the world and and in fact we had a an intern recently you know who was telling me that she was bringing a lot of the content she she learned working with us in conversations with their family on on you know how to see the world and like bringing these examples of the world is not black and white, right? And the world is not only what you see in the world, but there are different forms, different ways of seeing the world and different cosmovisions and perspectives. And, you know, and she told me, well, I could have never told this to my parents, to my family, if I was not working with you, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, it's one thing to say, oh, there are several ways of seeing the world. And it's another thing to actually be able to show these examples. And, and bring them in right. into conversations, right? So if we can do that, if we can do that with five people, it's worth it, you know? It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's been worth it and it's it's nice. So that's that's something I really like and I really enjoy and, and uh, look forward to keep doing um, in collaboration with, with these communities, you know, yeah. in several ways. So I, Hope I look forward to keep working with these and to keep collaborating with uh, our lovely colleagues from the Museum of Southeastern Petén in in Dolores and with uh, my Cachiquel and Chufti professors as well. You know they are just uh, um, part of the inspiration that we have for this project and and great sources of of knowledge. You know and I we feel honored and and happy to collaborate with them and to advance the project together with them. absolutely yeah and it's yeah it's it it just sounds like it's it's such an amazing journey and it you know i i'm really excited about this and it sounds like there are a lot of people that are also really excited about it um i guess before i before i let you go where can people find out more about the project oh yeah absolutely um well, we have a Facebook page now. Uh, it's called Proyecto Maya Scripta. Um, so there is that on Facebook. There is the Proyecto Maya Scripta YouTube channel, which, as I mentioned, will be up probably sometime in September, early September. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where we are trying to to socialize more of of our project for for the 
English listener, listeners of, for the podcast, we published uh, a paper on the journal The Mayanist uh, last year. So the full issue of The Mayanist has a, a paper on on the project we did in, in Dolores. Um, and I, I think that's where I would uh, recommend people to start uh, looking and about the project and you can contact us through through there and i can also give a an a email address we are at myascripta at uvg.edu.gt so you can also email us there or through facebook we try to be very responsive and uh, i think that's that's where you can uh, look for us Perfect. Thank you so much. I'll, and I'll go ahead and I'll link those as well on the uh, page on the website where this, this episode will be hosted. Um, but Ruben, as always, it is wonderful getting to hear about the project that you're working on. Thank you so much for taking the time to share. Um, and I look forward to hearing more about how this project continues to, to grow and develop in the future. Thank you so much, Katie. It's been uh, such a pleasure, as usual, to chat with you about our Mesoamerican meanders and all the, the cool things that we work on. So congratulations for this uh, podcast project. I think it's it's amazing. I'm a regular listener, and I, I hope that this keeps growing and looking forward to come again other time soon. Thanks. Absolutely. Thank you so much. For those interested in reading and learning more about Proyecto Maya Escrita, as well as figuring out how to purchase a set for yourself, please check out the webpage for today's episode at MesoamericanStudiesOnline.com. As always, thank you so much for being a member of this community, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.